Good morning. Is this thing on? Yeah, seems like it. Well, as KT has built my head up, let us pray that I be humble and I be the utensil of God to deliver a message from his word. Dear Heavenly Father, you are great and greatly to be praised. We thank you that your word says where two or more are gathered, you are here also. We ask that your spirit be with us now as we read your word. Allow it to teach us what you have spoken so that we might be built up in our faith. It's in your name we pray that I would not speak anything that is contrary to your word and that what is said and that is from you would just remain in our hearts and our minds this week. And what is not of you, Lord, I just pray that you would cast it out as soon as it's said. It's in your name pray, amen. So this week, I started off preparing for Mark chapter 4, because that's what Keith Laverance, Lev, told me I was supposed to prepare for. But on Wednesday, he said, did I say Mark 4? I meant Mark 5. So we will uh, blame him if the message is short on anything. He's not here, so we can do that. As long as he doesn't listen to this. Okay, Mark chapter 5. Let us read. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasians. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day. Sorry. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs. And on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. The people came to see what it was that had happened. They, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might go be with them. Him. 
and he per- did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. We'll stop there for right now and we'll discuss this part of chapter 5 and then we'll go on to the other part of chapter 5. I apologize, I've not really used one of these before when speaking, so we'll, we'll make do. First, we see that Jesus and his disciples went across the Sea of Galilee. They had spent a day preaching on the seashore. The crowd was so large that Jesus had gotten into a boat to speak in Mark 4. And then Jesus said, let us go across the river. And so they went in the boat, and Jesus was at peace and he fell asleep and the disciples were scared because a great storm had come and they woke him up and he called them faithless and he calmed the storm. Now we picked up chapter 5 with them getting to the other side of the sea and we see that they have gone to a place called the gone to the Roman district of the Gerasians. Some have said that this was where Jews and Gentiles co-lived together. They lived in peace with one another. Jesus had not been there before. Some of these people might have heard of his ministry, but they wouldn't have been awe-stricken by him. This man would not have necessarily gathered a crowd in this area like he would back where he came from. Matthew records that He was confronted by not one man, but two men. So what was it? Was he immediately confronted by a man or two men? Some have suggested that Matthew is talking about a different miracle, but we have the same location described. We have the same incident of the sending out of demons into the herd of pigs, and we have the same rejection of Jesus. With these three points, I don't think we can say that these were two different miracles. William MacDonald says that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all were describing the same incident, but it could be that Matthew was giving a fuller account. Maybe there were two men. So throughout the next couple minutes, we're going to be looking at what Matthew, Mark, and Luke said. Because if you look at the other two Gospels, there's more to this story. There's more to what happened. We see the demon-possessed man had some extreme strength. No one could subdue him. No one could hold him down or control him. Not even a group of people. They tried to chain him, and the chains could not hold him. He kept breaking the chains. We see that this demon-possessed man had a supernatural strength about him. He had the, the demons were using their strength in him because no ordinary man could have broken the chains. We see that this man was suffering from being demon-possessed. This man was suffering to no end. We see in this passage that the demon's end goal 
is destruction. This man was in the tombs, going from the tombs to the mountains, screaming in pain, cutting himself with rocks. There would have probably have been infection in his wounds because hygiene was not that great. And if you have open wounds and get dirt in there or germs in there, you would have had sores and just gives me the heebie-jeebies thinking about the infection. It would have probably have been a burning sensation with the infections if they weren't treated. So we see that this man was physically in pain. And we see that he is no longer in contact with his family. He's not in town with his family and friends. He is out in a remote place. He has been driven out by the demons. He might have been a husband. He might have been a father. But right now he's not being a husband and father. There must have been some pain and with that, being separated from the ones you love. He was cut off from society. He was a danger to the public. So we see that this man was hurting not only physically, but mentally and socially. And then we see that Jesus is approached by this demon-possessed man, and he's given a humble and reverent greeting. We see that in James 2.19 it says, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. We see that demons recognize who God is. We know that they have a knowledge of him. And we see that this demon came forth and called him the son of the most high God. The demon came and was very fearful of Jesus because he knew of the punishment that would come, the punishment of the lake of fire that would happen to the devil and his angels in the end. The demon was pleading with Jesus not to send them into the abyss. And you're probably thinking, we didn't read that in Mark 5, but Luke chapter 8, verse 31 says, And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. The abyss is the holding place for the angels or the demons, the angels that had fallen. The angels or the, that had fallen, the demons of Genesis chapter or 6, verse 4, are in the abyss, according to 2 Peter 2, 4. The angels that had fallen, the demons that are in the abyss, are waiting their final doom. We see that Jesus commands the demon out, and then asks the name of the demon. In which we find out that this man not only has one demon, but many demons. One demon would be bad enough, but this man had many demons. The demon gives the term legion, which was a Roman term, which meant in between 3,000 and 6,000 Roman soldiers in the ancient army. So did this demon declare that there were 3,000 to 6,000 demons in this man? Or was he simply saying that there were many? Regardless, there were a lot of demons in this man, causing a lot of tormentation. And Jesus taught that if a demon would leave a person they would soon return 
because they would go out and they wouldn't find a soul to imbo- be embodied in and they would return to the person they had left in Matthew chapter 12. This would happen and they would bring back not just themselves but seven other demons according to Matthew chapter 12 verses 43 through 45. So they would bring back more than what had originally left. This leads us to assume that this man's demon possession had gone on for a long time for so many demons to be in him. And Luke records in chapter 8 verse 29, for he, Jesus, had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it, the demons, had seized him. He was kept under guard and bond, bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. So we saw, we see in Luke's account that many a times the demons had left this man and had come back out of the desire to be embodied. A demon in the end wants to have a house, as Matthew 12 says. They want to be embodied. But if Jesus put them into the swine, they would be embodied. So Jesus permits them to go into the swine as they've asked. That way they would not leave the man and then come back. And to a Jewish man such as Jesus, swine were unclean animals, so it wouldn't affect him. Some would say that Jesus is allowing the swine to go into the swine, allowing the demons to go into the swine, there you go, was a form of punishment of the owners of the swine. Some commentaries say that these swine were owned by Jewish men and it was unlawful for Jewish men to keep the swine. However, the Bible doesn't record that the swine were owned by Jews, so I don't think we can go there. I think we have to stick with what the Bible says. So we know that Jesus has permitted these demons to go into the swine, to embody the swine, and we can tell from Matthew chapter 12 that this way they wouldn't return to the man. And we see that the swine run into the water. But why didn't the why didn't the Son of the Most High, why didn't Jesus just send the demons into the abyss? Why didn't he just send them into the jail waiting for their final punishment? It wasn't their time for punishment. The demon even said that. Why would you torment me before it's my time? The demons knew that it was not their time for their final punishment. But we know that one day all the demons and the devil will be put into the lake of fire. Matthew and Revelation tell us that the lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. So these swine were allowed to go into the pig, or these demons were allowed to go into the swine. Sorry, I'm going to get that right one of these days. These herdsmen would have been terrified. Not only had the herdsmen witnessed the pigs go hog wild and stampede into the water, but they saw their livelihood go down the drain as well. 
These herdsmen probably were not the owners of the pigs. They were probably hired hands. And they would have been responsible to keep watch and to protect the pigs. And at this point, they had failed to do their jobs because about 2,000 pigs just went belly up in the water. And so what would their punishment have been? Maybe they would have had to pay restitution. Maybe it would have been their lives. We don't know. But we can be sure that they would be punished for allowing these pigs to go into the water and drown. But maybe they wouldn't be punished if they went and they brought people out to witness who had done it, who had allowed this to happen. So they go into the town and they gather some witnesses. They go and tell what has happened and the people come out. The people of the area come out to witness what had happened and they have a set of wrong values. The herdsmen went to go get witnesses to clear their names of the wrongdoing. And when the witnesses show up, they see a man who was naked, according to Luke's gospel, who was out of his mind. They see him fully dressed and in his right mind. They knew something miraculous had to have happened, and yet they also knew they had lost 2,000 pigs, and they cared more about the financial side of things over the one person who had been saved. And I was thinking about this, and I thought that that was a very selfish thing for these people to think. Here they knew that somebody had been saved from a lifetime of tormentation, yet they cared more about whatever they would have gotten from those pigs. But I thought, in today's world, we do the same thing. We value money and our possessions over the lives of human beings anyways. So we're not much different. So that would lead me to think that we, too, have wrong values, that we should care more about the person than the possessions. Jesus could have had a 13th disciple. He could have had a 13th disciple. The man who had been healed from the demon possession wanted to go with Jesus. But instead, Jesus had another plan. Jesus used the man who was formerly possessed by the demon to evangelize and to tell Decapolis of the good news. Which leads me to the idea that evangelism starts at home. We don't have to go anywhere to tell people of the good news. We have enough people here to tell. Sorry. And this man must have done a pretty good job because Mark 5 records Jesus being kicked out of the region, begged to leave. And then in Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37, it records an acceptance into this region. They begged Jesus to come and heal this man when Jesus had come back into the area. So something had to have changed within these two chapters. And the only logical thing would be that this man would have gone forth and told everybody and done a good job, and so therefore people were welcoming Jesus in to heal somebody. And we know from the scriptures that people were amazed at what they heard from this guy. This man went and told his region of Jesus. Sometimes we ourselves believe that we cannot 
evangelize properly to somebody who's close to us. I have three lost siblings, and sometimes I feel like I just can't evangelize to them because I'm their brother. I'm too close, too personal. And yet this man went and he told his family and friends about the Savior. And so we should start our evangelism at home. Let's turn to the second part of the chapter, Mark 5, 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and employed him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered many or much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. She said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself the power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowds and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. They laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Taliatha, come, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and and told them to give her something to eat. We've moved on to the second part of the message, which is Jesus' power over disease and death. Jesus and his disciples were back on Jewish ground. 
so they were welcomed by a large crowd. They hadn't been gone for more than a day or two, it seems, probably not even a full day. And the crowds were waiting for him. He was greeted by the seashore. The crowds couldn't get enough of this man who spoke in parables and did miracles. They knew he was something important. At this point, did they know that he was the Messiah? We see a desperate father comes and pleads Jesus for help. This isn't unnormal. People have been pleading for Jesus to help their children all along. But we see that in Scripture that Jesus was not well liked among the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And yet here is a ruler, an official of the synagogue who comes and asks Jesus for help. This man is desperate. His father is sick and he is very fearful that she will die. As a father, there is not much that I wouldn't do. There's not anything that I wouldn't do to save my child's life. She is my girl. She is my pride and joy right next to her mother and Jesus. There's not much. I think all of us parents can sympathize with Jarus here because all he wants to do is see her run and play like a kid again. And yet he's very, very scared that he will lose his child. He has seen Jesus do his miracles and he has figures there is no other hope. There is no other hope. He must ask Jesus to help her, help him, to heal her. This probably would have caused problems for him at work, being an official in the synagogue. He might have gotten some flack about going to this man who's doing all these things, upsetting all these people. But Jesus goes and agrees agrees to go and save this girl. But we see that a unclean, poverty-stricken woman who has a mystical or magical or super-spiritual faith in Christ comes forth. This woman was bleeding, which made her ceremonially unclean. This woman had been bleeding for 12 years. She had gone all the... She had gone to all the quacks in town. She had paid all the money she had to try to be healed, and yet she had no cure. She had heard of what Jesus had been doing, and she figured that she was broke. She had no other hope. She figured maybe if she just touched, touched his robe, she would be healed. I don't think she knew that she was going to be healed by faith. She figured... It would just be a zap and she'd be healed. This woman would have been weak and tired having bled for the last 12 years. She would have been probably on the side of being almost crippled. And yet she pushed through the crowds and she got up to Jesus and she reached forth and she touched him. I wonder if this woman was actually surprised that she was healed when she sensed the bleeding dry up. Because she had gone forth and she had done all the rational, normal things. She had gone to the doctor. She had done all this other stuff. And nothing had happened. And now, just by touching Jesus, she was healed. Jesus sure seemed surprised 
when he felt his power go forth. He starts to demand, who has touched me? And his disciples say, we're in a large crowd. You're Jesus. People just flock to you and cling tight to you. And you're asking, who touched me? They didn't understand that a healing had gone out. Uh, some power had gone out, as the scriptures say. But he did. He knew somebody had been healed by faith. This woman comes forth very much afraid of what might happen. So she tells Jesus the whole truth. And Jesus tells her that it was her faith that healed her. Though it was not an intellectual faith that she had gotten from going to Bible college for all these years or being in church since she was young, it was this almost infancy type faith. It was a very immature faith. But Jesus recognized her faith and said it was by her faith that she was healed. Which, this is just kind of a sidetrack. It kind of leads me to think about my daughter's faith. I want so badly for her to come to faith. And I kind of get discouraged when I explain something five times and it just isn't seeming to click. Yet I should see that she does have some faith. It's not a very intellectual faith. It's not a very mature faith. But she she can tell me who Jesus is. She can tell me why he came, why he died. So I guess it's just an encouragement to all those young parents who are raising young children that our children will start with an immature faith and then progress into a mature faith. I forget that at times. Much like this lady had an immature faith, and yet Jesus recognized her faith nevertheless. Meanwhile, Jairus is told that his daughter is dead. Just picture Jairus waiting impatiently while Jesus is being held up by this woman. Here he is, an official of the synagogue, and yet this nobody is taking time away from Jesus healing his daughter. Jesus see, or Jairus sees that his, this woman is healed, and his faith in Jesus' abilities for healing probably skyrocketed. But yet he gets the news. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. Your daughter is dead. And I can just imagine that there was probably a lump in his throat. His stomach had plummeted to the ground. He probably can't speak. He, he, he feels numb. He just wants to start crying because he just heard that his daughter passed away. Jesus overhears the servant tell his master the sad news, and yet Jesus is not so fearful. Jesus sees the numb expression of grief on Jairus' face, but Jesus' words to Jairus are much the same as his words to us when we face a trial. Do not fear, only believe. We all face many, many trials. Sometimes it's concerning death. Sometimes it's concerning something like Jairus is experiencing, and sometimes it's not. But yet the Savior still says to us, do not fear, only believe, because he knows what is in store for us. We don't. And so in our inability to see around the bend, we 
tend to have a fear that sets in. We tend to start questioning. And yet Jesus says just to believe. We see that Jesus is still going forth to Jairus' house. He leaves nine of his disciples behind. He just takes his three favorites and he goes forth with Peter, James, and John. Maybe the nine were to hold the crowds back, kind of to block the way. When they arrive to the house, Jesus shocks the mourners. He says that the girl is only asleep, and yet the mourners, though they probably had seen and heard some of what Jesus had said and done in the past, they ridicule him, they scorn him, because she is dead. Scholars are across the board on whether the issue, on the issue of this young girl, whether or not she was truly dead or just asleep. She had been pronounced dead. The people who were beside her as she was dying could no longer see her respers. They could never see that she wasn't breathing anymore. So I believe that she was dead because when somebody's not breathing anymore and somebody's starting to become cold, people know whether or not somebody's dead or alive. It's, it's a pretty plain issue. But some believe that she was only asleep. And if you believe that she was only asleep, it does not change the fact that we know that Jesus has power over death. Because we have an account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, who was dead for a couple days. And yet he still raised Lazarus. So we know that Jesus has power over death. Though I believe that this little girl, Jairus' daughter, was in fact dead. We still know that Jesus is the ever-powerful God who can raise people from the dead. Jesus has all the people put out of the room except the dead girl and her parents, and Peter, James, and John. And he says to her in an Aramaic expression that is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. This little girl rises and starts walking around. We, we hear that it's an okay thing that she's walking around because she's 12 years of age. I kind of find that expression in the scriptures because she was 12 years of age kind of funny. But maybe... Maybe not. Maybe some people need to know that it's okay, 12-year-olds walking around. And we see that she's returned back to normal because Jesus says, give her something to eat. This isn't, this isn't an abnormal girl now. She's going back to the normal way of life, eating and drinking and soon to be playing with her friends. Jairus and his wife were overcome with amazement. And yet, Jesus says, don't tell anybody about this. Because it wasn't his time to be glorified as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Throughout his ministry, he keeps telling certain people, don't speak of this, don't say anything, you know, don't say that I've done this. Because it wasn't Jesus' time to be lifted up. But we know that Jesus was lifted up on Triumphal Entry Sunday. It, that was his time to be lifted up. 
In Mark chapter 5, we see that Jesus has complete control over demons. After all, he created them. Colossians tells us that everything was created by and for Jesus. And so it's only natural that Jesus would have complete control over the demons. Jesus has complete control over disease. Though sometimes he permits disease to take its course and get worse, which leads to death. And sometimes, even today, unexplainably, people who have cancer, who are close to death, are healed. So Jesus has complete control over disease even today, as he did in Mark 5. And Jesus has power over death. We don't have any genuine, proven examples of people being raised from the dead. I mean, if you read Heaven is, for, Heaven is Real, as you read the Bible, you know, then maybe you would say that little boy died and rose again. But we don't have any proven, genuine examples that resurrections are happening again, that people are being raised from the dead. But we know that Jesus has power over death as he did in Mark 5. And we know that in the end, Jesus will raise people from the dead when he raptures the church. It's important for us to remember that Jesus is in complete control in all situations, especially the trials of our lives. He meets us where we are at. He met the demoniac man where he was at, naked, broken, cut up, and he restored him to a sane, clothed man. He met the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years where she was at. She was still broke. Still didn't have a penny to her name because she had spent it all up trying to be healed. But she was healed. And her faith was strengthened in Christ. And she, he definitely met Jairus' daughter where she was at on her deathbed having been pronounced dead. And yet he rose her up. He told her to get up, and she did. So we know that Jesus is in control of all situations, and he meets us where we're at in our unique situations. And he, he seeks to meet us where we're at, no matter how advanced we are in our faith. Because... The demoniac man, on his own, probably never heard of Jesus. But the demons knew who he was. And yet that man left the tomb sites as a believer, going and spreading the gospel. Nothing is impossible for God to do. Of course, we say that all the time. But it's nevertheless the truth. And we see this in Mark chapter 5, where... It's written that Jesus has power over the demons and power over disease and power over death. Let us pray and then we'll dismiss. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that your Son came and was the Lamb of God and was slain for our sins. We thank you that you have power over these things that we've reviewed. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to be with the brethren today. I pray that you would bless us and help us to 
retain what we've learned and just to further that spur us on to going home and rereading Mark 5 and being open for the Spirit to teach us even more. Lord, it's in your name we pray, amen.